Before we get started in the podcast, I want to take a second and thank you so much for listening. I also want to tell you that my purpose each time I record is to try and bring you God's Word in a way that makes it interesting and a little easier to understand. I know your time is valuable, so let's get started. Hello everyone. Thank you so much for clicking play. Over the last several podcasts I have done, it has been about the spiritual gifts, different aspects of it. This one I want to do about five of the spiritual gifts that are sometimes called the manifestation gifts. These are gifts that people tend to sensationalize. And because of that, a lot of times, normal, everyday, average people like you and I, not that you're average, but you know what I mean. A lot of times we'll disqualify ourselves from having them. We won't even, like we won't have the faith to actually use them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 though, Paul tells us that God gives gifts to each one of us. That means every one of us, including you and I. Here's what Paul says about the gifts and who gets them in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. Tonight I'm going to read from the NLT version, which is what I usually read from. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. Now, some versions say wisdom there, a message of wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So for the next several minutes, I want to do my best to explain the functions or maybe the applications in our lives of five of those nine gifts. I'll walk you through faith, which we've already talked about probably. I'll walk you through miracles, healing, tongues, and then very briefly we'll go through the interpretation of tongues. So let's get started. I'll begin with the gift of faith because I believe that without the gift of faith, it is impossible for any of the gifts in this grouping to manifest in our lives. First, I want you to know that the spiritual gift of faith is not the same as the saving faith, as the faith it took for you to say, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe he died on the cross and came back three days later. That's not the same kind of faith. All Christians have been given that saving faith. Paul told us this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The NLT version says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. So there's faith, when you believed. So that's the saving kind of faith that all Christians have. But not all Christians receive this special gift of faith. 
Words that come to mind when I think of the gift of faith is confidence, extreme confidence, certainty, trust, and assurance in God. Trust in God. Certainty that God will fulfill all his promises. Assurance that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. So that's a different kind of faith. Don't misunderstand what I was saying earlier, though. While the gift of faith is not the same as the saving faith, it is certainly rooted in it. Faith can only come from trust, and that trust can only come from being having a close personal relationship with our Savior. Those with this gift have a trust and confidence in God that allows them to live boldly for Him. In the Bible, when you read about someone who has the gift of faith, it is very often accompanied by great works. In Acts 3, 1 through 8, we see this gift in action. Peter and John come upon a lame man at the beautiful gate. The gate was actually called beautiful, the beautiful gate. The man was asking for money, but Peter had something so much better for him. Peter stepped out on faith and caused him to stand up in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now I want to stop here for a second and say that when Peter said, get up and walk, to my knowledge, there isn't any version of the Bible that says he closed his eyes, he crossed his fingers, and he prayed that it would work, or he hoped that it would work. It doesn't say that at all, not any version. It says that Peter took the lame man by the right hand, he helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, can you imagine having that kind of faith? In order to do something like that, it would take a huge amount of faith, wouldn't it? You would think so. But according to Jesus, it's not so. At least two different times, Jesus told his disciples that even a small amount of faith, mustard seed-sized faith, could move mountains. In Matthew 21, 21, he told them this. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. So other than giving us the ability to move our mountains, what is the gift used for? What is the gift of faith used for and how do we use it to benefit the church or the people of the church? So let me ask you, how many people in your church or even in your life, need more confidence in God or need more confidence in His ability? How many do you know that need the encouragement that can only come from someone with faith and confidence in God? It takes those with the unshakable gift of faith to deliver that kind of encouragement. They can do it because they trust and they know that God is sovereign and they know that God is good. All the time, God is good. They have the ability to take God at his word and they have zero fear in putting the full weight of their lives in his hand. See, they expect God to move. And like Peter, they're not surprised when he answers prayers or performs a miracle. The NIV version of Hebrews 11.1, 1, one of the most popular faith scriptures in the entire Bible says this, 
Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. The gift of faith isn't a New Testament thing either. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is full of stories about people from the Old Testament that had amazing faith. Think about what Noah did. Think about the amount of faith it took for him to build an ark. He was a farmer. He lived in the desert. He had probably never seen the ocean. And some believe that he had never even seen rain. And yet, he built a boat. He built it exactly like God told him to, and he started the day God told him to start. What about Abraham? He offered up his only son, a son that he had waited his entire life for. His reasoning, in verse 19, it tells us that he trusted that if he obeyed God's instructions, that God would bring him back to life. There's a lot more examples I could give you, but in the sake of time, I'll just say this. If you know you have the unshakable gift of faith, please use it to help others. Please use it to build up the body of Christ. Use it to glorify God. All right. So we're going to use that gift of faith and we'll move on to the gift of healing. Because I don't believe you can do one without the other. The spiritual gift of healing is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. And it's actually plural in the Greek. The, the words that are translated to healing is actually plural in the Greek. It's called charismata amaton. It's translated into gifts of healings, plural. The gift is obviously closely related to faith and miracles. Like I said earlier, all spiritual gifts need faith to be used. But gifts of healing requires a faith on an all new different level. The gift is interesting in that there is absolutely no guarantee that the person will always be able to heal anyone he or she desires. So if you have the gift of healing, it doesn't mean it's going to work every single time. It only works if it's God's will. It is subject to the sovereign will of God. Think about the disciples. They were given the authority to heal and cast out demons, right? But we also know from scripture that they were not always successful. The Bible tells us that even the Apostle Paul was not able to heal himself, of all people. The Bible says three different times he begged God to take away his affliction. And that three different times, God said no. The key to the gift of healing is faith. The Bible tells us in Matthew 17 that the disciples at one point was unable to heal a boy or cast out demons. Now keep in mind, this was not their first attempt at healing. They had been healing people. And I'm not talking about getting people over the common cold. I'm talking about getting the people to walk when they couldn't walk. Getting the people to see and to hear when they couldn't see or hear. When they asked Jesus what happened, why couldn't we heal this child? He told them they didn't have enough faith. Now another reason that healing might not be granted, above and beyond our faith, is that God may have greater plans for the person or persons involved. When they do happen, though, when the healings happen, they are meant to draw people to God through his son, Jesus Christ. God wants those people healed to respond in faith and thanksgiving and love as the leper did in Luke and, by, and like the demon-possessed man did in Mark. By God's grace, physical healing should lead to spiritual healing and eternal life with him in heaven. That's the plan. 
Those who have this gift are obviously compassionate toward the sick and pray over them regularly. They have great faith and trust that God can and will heal some and are not discouraged when he chooses not to. They are motivated knowing that God's revealed power will draw people to Jesus. They love that the person they healed will no longer be in pain physically, but that's not the sole purpose in their healing. Their ultimate concern is that the person healed finds his way to Christ and begins to have an amazing relationship with Jesus. So let's move on to the miracles. When it's described in scripture, the miracles sounds a lot like the gift of healing. We find it in 1 Corinthians 12.10. And the Greek phrase used literally translates to workings of powers. Now the smart people that do my research for me believe that the double plural most likely means that these gifts were diverse and that the believer couldn't use it any time they want to. Now, based on what I read, the gift was given to be used at various times for various circumstances. In other words, the use of the gifts are subject to the divine will of God and are to be used for His purpose only. Who does or does not get healed is God's decision. That's what I'm trying to say. It is not up to the person that's trying to do the healing. Now, through reading the Bible, most of you know about the miracles that Jesus performed while he was on earth during his ministry. I'm also sure that you know that the apostles, we've already talked about it, the apostles did miracles on a pretty regular basis as well. The Bible tells us that just like Jesus, they cast out demons. They healed the sick. They made the lame walk. They made the blind to see. They even raised people from the dead. The Bible tells us in Acts 13 that on his very first missionary trip with Barnabas, Paul did the opposite. He actually made a sorcerer go blind. Now you may not remember it, but there are other believers in the Bible that did miracles as well. They had the gift as well. Do you remember Stephen? He was one of the first seven deacons appointed by the apostles. His role was to distribute food and charitable aid to the poor members of the community and of the church. So that was his role, but yet he had the gift of healing. In Acts 6, verse 8, it says that Stephen performed amazing miracles and signs among people. How about Philip? Do you remember him? He had the gift of miracles as well. The Bible says he was an evangelist, and he was also chosen to do the same thing that Stephen had done. He was a deacon. In Acts 5, 8, it says this about him. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Miracles were given by God to reveal his presence and his glory among his people. They were given to create a sense of awe and wonder and godly fear. The miracles very often had the intended effect. Even with all the enemies they had, when people saw the miracles being performed, it gave them faith in Jesus and they began to glorify God. It also gave them a greater faith and boldness in the church. In Acts 9, for example, it says that Peter traveled to Lydda and met a man there that had been paralyzed for over eight years. 
He would have been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years. The word says that he told him to get up and he was healed instantly. Now, after the man was healed, it says this in verse 35. Then the whole population of Lida and Sharon saw the man walking around. And listen to this. They turned to the Lord. Now, people with the gift of miracles very often have a heightened sensitivity to the presence of God. They also have the gift of faith and they desperately want God to reveal himself. Those with a true gift take care not to draw attention to themselves. They don't want nor need a following of people. They spend their time constantly directing their people to the cross, directing their people, those people, back to Jesus. Those with a gift understand that God is sovereign and he can work when and how he desires. But they take great measures to make sure that they're available and they're listening to any prompting by the Holy Spirit. They do not claim power themselves, but always give credit and glory to God Almighty. If for some reason they begin to let the flesh get the better of them, and I know you've probably seen people do this, going up and down the street, drawing attention to themselves, right? But usually God will deliberately humble them. He does so in order to keep them relying on His grace and pointing people to His Son rather than to their own power through the miracles. Now I'll tell you a quick story about someone that goes to my church that has the healing power in her hands. I was at church one Wednesday night and I had a splitting headache. And one of the ladies there noticed that I wasn't my normal, jovial, smart aleck self. So after it was over, she asked me what was wrong and I told her. And she asked, could she pray for me? And I said, of course you can pray for me. So she put her hands on each side of, of my head, on my temples, and she began to pray. And I don't know what happened. All I know is that there was enough heat coming out of her hands to make me sweat. And I'm not making this up. She prayed a very short prayer. And by the time she was done, my headache was gone. When I thanked her for it in amazement, she just smiled and very shyly said, It's the Lord. He can do that when he wants to. He doesn't always do it, but when he wants to, he does. And she walked off. So when I tell you they don't want credit, they don't want notoriety, they don't. They want people to understand that it's a gift from God. And all they're doing is following what he's telling them to do. So now we'll move to the most sensationalized gift, I think. Uh, whether it should be or not, I don't know, but I think it is. So I'm going to talk to you now about the gift of tongues. Most of you already know much of what I'm about to say. But if you were like me and you were raised in a church that never discussed tongues or didn't even talk about the verses in the Bible that spoke to tongues, uh, you may find it interesting or you may even learn something. I don't know. But the gift of tongues is more accurately called the gift of languages. The Greek word for tongues is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A. It literally means tongue. When the word is used in the New Testament, though, and when, they're, when they're addressing the spiritual gifts, it carries a contextual meaning of languages. 
and, and I'm not going to go into one side or the other because there's a lot of conversations that's going on about this. I'm going to strictly give you the basics. Speaking in tongues is the utterance of prayer or a message glorifying God. And it's typically spoken to God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14 too, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Now to properly understand this gift, I'm going to take you back a little bit to the beginning of time, to the beginning of the Bible, where language made a right turn or a left turn somewhere. In the garden, mankind had one language. Adam and Eve had one language, and it was in direct communication with God, the Bible says. Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God. They had a perfect relationship with God until they sinned and their lives and our lives were changed forever. At that point, they were cursed and they were banished from Eden along with all their descendants. But mankind, according to the Bible, continued to have one language up until Genesis 11 where God confused their language and people were dispersed and sent out throughout the earth. Now the Bible tells us he did this for one reason. He did it because they had united together in one language and had conspired to build a tower at Babel, this huge tower going up into the heavens. Now they said once they did that, once they proved that they could do that, they would make a name for themselves and thus replace God in their hearts. Pride, as you know, is the birthplace of sin. It's the reason Satan got kicked out of heaven. Regrettably, fallen man has continued to use every advantage they can, including language, to usurp God's authority. Now, after God confused their language and scattered them across the earth, he chose one people with one language to bring him glory and draw mankind back to himself. Now, Abraham, as you know, was the one through whom God promised to bless all the nations, right? Eventually, through the nation of Israel, the Hebrew language would be used to communicate God's word to the nations. The problem is, the rest of the world didn't speak Hebrew or didn't understand it. And for the most part, the rest of the world continued to, to be ignorant of God's plan of redemption. Until Pentecost. Now, if you fast forward to Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people of God, we see a glimpse of God's reversal of the curse of divided languages. In Acts 2, people from all over the world could not only hear God's people proclaiming the gospel, they heard them doing it in their own languages. The Bible said they were amazed. They could not understand how these people from Galilee was speaking in their languages. There was at least 15 different dialects that I counted today. The miracle that happened at Pentecost, I believe, is the beginning of the redemption of language for its intended purpose. The purpose of glorifying God and drawing all people back to himself. It says in Revelation 7, 9 through 12, listen to this. Heaven will have an infinite number of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will join together to praise God with one language. 
See, I believe that this is the perfect time that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. He says in that verse that love is all that matters. You know that Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. He says in that verse that love is all that matters. He says that prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. The New King James Version actually uses the words fail, cease, and vanish away to describe what will happen to the gifts. We won't need them anymore. Anything that could be prophesied about will already have happened. We will be in heaven. You won't, we will only have one language, so we won't need tongues anymore. And special knowledge, like we're going to be there. We won't need any... Anyway, let me go on. We could also spend days talking about the spiritual gift of tongues and all the different thoughts and opinions about them. Like I said, I went to a church as a young child. I didn't even know what tongues was. But in order to move on, I'm going to summarize with just a few important points. First and most importantly, I want to say this. The gift of tongues is not a requirement nor a sign of your salvation. Paul clearly tells us at the end of chapter 12 that everyone is unique and different and we won't all have the same gifts, including tongues. Here's another point I want to bring out. Tongues can be human languages such as those heard in the second chapter of Acts. But listen to me when I say this. And don't be like me and think somebody has gone completely crazy if they start speaking in unknown languages. Languages that you nor anybody around you understands. They're not talking to you. They're talking to God. And God understands exactly what they're saying and why they're saying it. I read this passage to you earlier, but it's worth reading again. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. So here's another point. A message from God delivered in tongues should not be crazy ecstatic speak, but it should always be controlled and orderly, and the person speaking it should have full control over what they're saying, as if I'm talking to you right now. Paul was pretty clear about the second part of this too, that if you bring a message in tongues in church, there has to be an interpreter in the audience when it happens. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28 says this, No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Now, I know there's a lot of different views in different churches about the gift of tongues, so I'll say this. Based on everything I've read, I believe that just like all the other gifts mentioned in the Bible, the Holy Spirit gives some believers the spiritual gift of tongues, and some he does not. To those he has given the gift to, it should be used to glorify God. And with the help of an interpreter, it should be used to help edify the church. Like it or not, believe in it or not, this gift is dealt with extensively in the scriptures. And Paul says it shouldn't be discouraged. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager, eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. 
Folks, we can't take part of the Bible and not believe in the other part. If you believe in Genesis 1-1, then you have to believe in 1 Corinthians 14-39. Does that make sense? Now that said, like all the other gifts God gives, it should be used properly with pure motives and pure intentions. And it should only be used in the power and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now the last gift I'm going to cover in this podcast will be the gift of interpretation. The Greek word for interpretation is hermeneia. And it simply means to interpret, to explain, or expound some message that is not able to be understood in a natural way. Simply put, this spiritual gift is the supernatural ability. Now, you didn't even need me to tell you this. The supernatural ability to understand and explain messages spoken in an unknown language. When someone brings a message in tongues and an interpreter shares the meaning, two things happen. One, the church is edified or improved. And two, God is glorified. Now, I've only witnessed it a few times in church. So I'm certainly not an expert. But I will say this from experience. So listen to me now. If you attend a church where speaking in tongues is accepted and and normal, which that's kind of hard to say for most people to hear. Like, it's normal in my church. But if it's normal in your church and someone begins to bring a message, close your eyes and listen with your heart to see if God was trying to use you to interpret. I'm telling you this from experience. Just because you've never done it before doesn't mean it's not you that God is going to use to interpret that message. If you don't, if you don't respond to God's urging or the Holy Spirit's urging, someone else will interpret and they'll give the same interpretation that was running through your mind. All right. So I've covered five or more of the more sensationalized or or what I would consider supernatural gifts from God. Although faith is not necessarily considered supernatural, I started with it because I honestly believe without faith, without a very strong faith, you won't be able to use any of these gifts. You won't have enough belief in yourself or in God to believe that you can heal or believe that you can make a miracle. You just won't. Unlike some of the gifts, leadership or giving or helping. These just don't come natural. You have to have a very strong faith in God and belief in God for them to happen. If you don't have enough faith in them, or if you think God would never use you to heal someone, or use you to perform a miracle, or or bring a message to people in tongues from you, then you won't. Faith at that level is supernatural. And like confidence, it's strong at times, and at other times, it's not so strong. The Bible tells us that even the apostles who walked with Jesus every day lacked enough faith to heal the child that had the demon in him. So I want to end this podcast by telling you something I think is extremely important, and it needs to be said, and it's about tongues. Just because you don't have a certain gift, like speaking in tongues, doesn't mean you're not saved. It also doesn't mean that you haven't reached some certain level of being saved. Just because you don't pray in tongues doesn't mean you're missing something. You're not missing out as long as you're praying. I'm telling you this because it happened to me. 
I wasted a lot of prayer time worrying about it and asking God what was wrong with me. I wasted time asking what I was or wasn't doing that was stopping me from praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit, as some would say. I don't guess any time spent talking to God is a waste, but I'm saying wasted because I could have spent that time praying for people that needed prayer. I could have spent that time focusing on becoming a better Christian or a better husband. Like the people of Corinth, I had one reason for asking those questions, and that was pride. Pride had me focusing on a specific gift that I wanted. I wanted that gift. Knowing full well, having read the Bible, this part of the Bible over and over again, it clearly said I might not get it. I said all that to say this. You very probably will not get the spiritual gift that you have chosen for yourself. If you pulled up the list, the first time I did the podcast, you pulled up the list of spiritual gifts and you started picking out the ones you wanted, I got bad news for you. You're probably not going to get that one. Now, you may have figured out the one you had, but the one you want, you probably won't get it. I mean, let's be honest. Who wouldn't want to go around healing people and curing diseases and wiping out hunger or bringing loved ones back from the brink of death? Who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, I would choose those gifts. No, we won't get the gifts we would ask for. We get the gifts God needs us to have. We get gifts to bring people to Christ. We get gifts to help our church grow. We get gifts to glorify God, not glorify us. So whatever your gift is, know this. It was chosen just for you. And with that gift, you have the power to change people's lives forever. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm praying that God blesses you and your family.